Welcome to episode 252 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is a short episode where we catch up. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else looks going out under the stars. We have a big thank you to send out to uh, Patreon supporter Shane. Take it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so longtime listener and uh, multiple Patreon donor, uh, Chef Ozzy. Thanks again for your support. Certainly appreciate it. And as always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We really, really do appreciate that. It does help to keep the podcast going, as we always like to say. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you have any show ideas too, uh, we're always happy to hear about those. Uh, you can email us. We're actualastronomy at gmail.com. And uh, I think not this episode, but in a couple of episodes, uh, we have a pretty cool um, yeah. topic that uh, a new listener wrote us about, uh, uh, Carson, and, you know, I guess a little bit of a teaser, but it, it, it's, you know, talking a little bit about Messier objects or the Messier list, and maybe about, you know, are there some objects that should be on the list or shouldn't be on the list? Anyway, it was a really good email. We'll get into that a little later. But um, yeah, if anybody has any other ideas for topics, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So uh, I think what you're you're kind of uh, mentioning there, Shane, is that uh, Chef Ozzy is actually somebody who's, I think he sent us a few show ideas yep. yeah, um, o- over the years and uh, really appreciate that. It, it's a lot of fun to... Um, get an idea from a listener because, you know, like sometimes people say, like, how do you guys come up with uh, so many different shows, you know, a couple every week and it's eight every month. And it's like, it's actually really, it's really easy. The, the listeners are really like our third person or our producer in some ways, because <laughs> yeah. people um, just unexpectedly just send us stuff. And it's like, you know, I've always kind of thought that, but I, I hadn't really formed that into a show idea you know, like, what do you think, Shane, or mm-hmm. this one, you, you kind of grab and said, Oh, there's a show idea in this, that this person wrote us and you were communicating with Carson. And so I'm like, yeah, so uh, yeah, we really appreciate that. You don't need to be a Patreon supporter uh, to send us a show idea and, uh, and to have it air. But uh, you know, uh, if you want to be a Patreon supporter as well, that would, uh, that, that definitely is appreciated because uh, uh, yeah, we, we just do this for fun. It's not free, unfortunately, in order to put it out, um, there are some uh, costs in order to put it out. Maybe the best way to, to say it is in order to put it out the way that we want to, um, there are a few costs associated. So we have proper hosting. And so that in your pod catching software, the show will be there um, when you subscribe and you'll get it every month. If you don't pay for the right subscriptions, it, it doesn't quite work uh, very well for the listeners. So um, really the, the uh, Patreon support does go back into the show I think we just about broke even, but yeah, I don't don't think quite yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, have you been getting out to do some astronomy, Shannon? I know you've had the uh, you, you've got a couple new scopes. You've got the FL seventy one from Borg. You've mm-hmm. got the new uh, Transportation Safety Authority one hundred two from Takahashi, and. Uh, <laughs> So like, where is he going with this I mean, <laughs> so i'd like to call it well that telescope flies i hear it's pretty good so yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah have you have you had the mode i think you've just been in your backyard or something but no you went up to uh the cypress hills so maybe yeah. you had it up there yeah so i have done a little bit of observing um actually the night of uh don mccoltz's passing i i went out in the backyard and observed the moon and, mm-hmm. uh, a number of other things just from the backyard uh using yep. the uh, tsa 102 
And uh, it was a really nice evening, actually. And, you know, part of the motivation was just to honor Don and, you know, what mm. he did for amateur astronomy. And, and that mm. was a nice night. Um, I've done some solar observing. Uh, you know, it's been super warm, super clear uh, during a lot of our daytimes here. And uh, so anyway, there's a ton of activity on the sun. Uh, I missed the giant um, prominence that I think that was two or three weeks ago now. Um, but anyway, there's been a lot of that. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, recently I was on a little family vacation uh, to celebrate my mom's retirement. And we went to Cypress Hills, uh, Saskatchewan, which is also uh, the site of the Saskatchewan Summer Star Party. That's uh, one of the darker places in the province. Uh, it's the highest elevation in Canada, east of the Rockies. So, you know, you're getting above some of the air as well, which is kind of nice. Um, however, with it being a family trip, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for nighttime observing. Um, but we did do some daytime observing, um, looked at the moon during the day, as well as the sun with a, a white light filter using the Borg 71 FL, which is a wonderful little travel scope. But um, probably the coolest part about this was uh, I have uh, four nephews on my side of the family, two four-year-olds and two seven-year-olds. And um, so part of the telescope adventure was, was having them look through it and see what you know, they thought of everything. So the four-year-olds, uh, not to anybody's surprise, I'm sure were really not more that interested in the telescope beyond about 12 seconds, um, which is a typical four-year-old, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but the seven-year-olds, you know, they're a little more interested in science and space. And in particular, my, uh, my one nephew from Edmonton was, uh, just thrilled with the, with looking through the telescope. He was blown away by the detail that you could see on the moon, even in the daytime, and then he really enjoyed uh, the sunspot observing that we did following that. Cool. And uh, at the end of the three or four day trip, I, I asked the nephews, you know, what was your favorite part of the trip? And um, that nephew from Edmonton said, the, looking through the telescope. So I, oh, I think wow. we might have a budding amateur astronomer here. Uh, <laughs> have to have to keep feeding his fire and hopefully he stays interested. Good stuff. How about Very you? Cool. Have you been doing much observing? Yeah. Yeah. I've been out quite a bit. Uh, weather seems to have uh, somewhat turned around. You know, it's not penny to be quite as good as the forecast is, is sometimes leading us to believe, but it has been uh, fairly good. Um, yeah. I also went out um, the night of Don's passing and I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go observing in Don's honor. So I, I went out and, and just did some observing for an hour or so. And then, um, you know, had a work day the next day or whatever, but uh, yeah, I did, did some on that night. And then this past week I was able to get out and do three nights of observing in a row. I did uh, Wednesday, oh. Thursday, and Friday. And last night, a bit of thick haze was in. And I was kind of just looking at the stars, like through the haze. And I had my scope set up, mm. but the haze was just a little too dense. Um, and uh, I put the comet catcher up, which is in a planetary scope. So I didn't bother pointing it at the planets just because uh, it's a little bit of an exercise and frustration. And then uh, I went to bed and I was going to get up and observe, but uh, yeah, I had a bit of a stomachache or something when I woke up. And so I didn't go out and observe, but I didn't end up being up most of the night. So uh, mm. um, let's say, yeah, good nights. It's been warm at night. Like last night, it was like, uh, I was at walk around in shorts uh, until 11 o'clock or so. It was 19 degrees. Um, but mostly on those nights, I've been using the TAC uh, 100 millimeter, my, my TAC uh, DC and uh, doing a lot of observing with the 22 Nagler. Um, one thing I was able to do is track down Messier 55 from my site, which is uh, pretty exciting for me. 
Yeah. When I read that, I thought, man, that's pretty good actually. So, um, and, and you mentioned that last year you weren't able to, uh, to locate it or observe it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we've had uh, a very sudden dramatic improvement in our uh, light pollution out here. And uh, so last year, I, I, I couldn't anyway, using the TAC 100, um, I could not locate M55 mm-hmm. um, on the nights that I was observing. And uh, yeah, it was just too bright. Um, but then this year, they've swapped out a lot of the lights. And then uh, there's a, there was a few lights on a hill and I'm not sure why, but those neighbors seemed to, there was one light that was on a, like a timer or something that would often be on in the evenings and then shut off periodically or after 11 o'clock or something. Anyway, that light doesn't exist anymore. And yeah, so it's just, just a lot darker here in general, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with the full cutoff lights on, on this side nice. um, of the Valley and then on the far side of the Valley as well. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's about uh, getting close to half a magnitude um, darker here. So it's pretty surprising. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, and just for everybody, M55 is a globular cluster in Sagittarius, but for us, it's pretty low on the horizon up here mm. at, uh, our latitude. So it can be a bit of a challenging observation and, and, um, it's magnitude is around 6.3 or something like that. Um, yeah. but I think it's pretty large. So it's one of those deceptive uh, yeah. magnitudes where, you know, you hear 6.3 and you think, oh, that's bright, but it's, it's spread out over a fairly large, you know, area. So it, you know, it's not quite as bright as you'd think. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty large one. I think, is it, is it associated with one of the dwarf galaxies that the Milky Way has cannibalized and years past or something like that anyway oh okay um, yeah maybe. yeah it's pretty big um in the tack i could i could just start to get hints of granulation um mm. these nights weren't the best nights either there was like a little bit very little bit of smoke haze especially to yep. my south where, where i'm looking through a thicker part of the atmosphere at this so i think on a good night if i can get a good crisp night here this week i think i should be able to uh to get a good sketch of it i haven't bothered to sketch it because Basically, I can see the two stars above it, and then I can see just like a circular haze. I showed it to my wife, and she was kind of like, I can't, I don't know if I'm seeing it. I'm not sure what I'm looking at, kind of thing. Just very, very faint. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, I definitely, uh, yeah, it's there. Um, let's see, what else did I look at? It's been a long time looking at Messier 31, which is the Andromeda galaxy up in Andromeda, and uh, just did like some big pans along Summer Milky Way, taking a look at uh, like M22. M28, the Lagoon Nebula, and there's a lot of nebula and globular clusters in in that region. There's another cluster right beside, um, another globular cluster pretty much right beside M8. And uh, I also couldn't quite see that last summer. Um, I would only see that as a star, but this year I can see it as a fuzzy star. So again, like the the bump in uh, sky conditions is is pretty pretty awesome. Um, took a look at the. M24, small Sagittarius, quote-unquote star cloud. It's not really a star cloud. Looking through a hole in our Milky Way called Bates Window. Um, looking at the Swan Nebula, Eagle Nebula. And then I went back all through that. I put an each beta filter in um, night before last on Friday night. And I took a long look at uh, the Eagle Nebula and each beta. It's uh, Yeah, that's one of those one of those nebulae that really responds well to the each beta filter. And without the filter... It's pretty faint nebulosity. You kind of see the cluster mostly, but you can just barely see like this faint sort of uh, wispy gauze. And then when you put the H beta filter in, 
Um, it seems like one of the brightest nebulas in the sky, right? It's, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's so so bright with the uh, with the H beta in. So um, H beta out. Um, it's very very faint nebulosity um, is there, but it's it's faint. And then uh, um, you know, like if you're looking at M eight, which is much larger and brighter in comparison. Um, if you put the H beta in, it seems like the, uh, the Eagle Nebula is actually, it, it appears anyway, it's not, but it appears to be brighter than the, uh, lagoon looks like, uh, unfiltered. So yeah, it's that, that level of brightness. It's pretty cool. Nice. And that was with the 22 Nagler. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at, no, I had the 32 Massiama. Hmm. And when I, when I, yeah, I put that just right on the eyepiece and then I was switching the eyepieces around. But the reason why I did that is that, um, so you want to watch your exit pupils when you're using um, the H-beta filter and your best exit pupil is about a four millimeter exit pupil. My telescope is a hundred millimeter F7.4. And so um, my eyepiece is about a 32 millimeter eyepiece or a 30 millimeter eyepiece. So the way to figure out your exit pupil is to simply take your, your eyepiece in millimeters and divide it by your telescope's focal ratio. So that mm -hmm. gives you about a 4.3 with this kind of setup. I actually think that that eyepiece is more like a 30 millimeter than a 34 millimeter. It's just my guess. And so I think it gives me pretty much right on a four millimeter. Uh, but regardless, you want to be about at four millimeters for the H beta filter to kind of work at its peak efficiency, like with your, with your eye and your brain and all that kind of jazz. Um, it'll work best in that zone. So that's why I was using the 32. Once you start um, increasing your, your pupil size, um, you still get a benefit from the H beta. It's just, that's not the peak benefit, but it, it still works quite well. And once you get much smaller than like a three and a half millimeter eggs of pupil, then the, uh, the, the brightness starts getting spread out so much that you might as well just not use the filter. It's eventually you kind of even out at about uh, one half or two millimeter uh, eggs of pupil. You, you won't get any more benefit from the uh, H beta. Like it's just going to work really well in a particular zone. And I think that's why a lot of people buy these filters and then they're like, well, oh, they don't work or they don't do this magical trick or anything. They, they just end up maybe using the wrong uh, powers uh, slash the wrong exit pupils with them. Good to know. I, uh, I wasn't aware that the H beta required a larger exit pupil. I haven't really played around with the H beta to, to be perfectly honest. I, I have one, but I just haven't used it a lot. Yeah. And oftentimes what happens is see, um, they sell more one and a quarter inch nebula filters, and those tend to be used on higher power eyepieces because people tend to have two inch low power eyepieces and one and a quarter inch higher power eyepieces. So um, people are trying to maybe save a few bucks or something by getting the one and a quarters or just for whatever reason, that's what they've gone with. So maybe they can use it more telescopes, but just by, uh, but by the fact that that's their setup, it's a pretty typical setup. They're, they're not going to hit like the peak efficiency for the, uh, for that type of filter, less constrained with things like UHCs and O3s. Um, but with the H beta, um, you can read up on it, but really the getting, getting around that four millimeter exit people is sort of like a magic number. And like I said, when you do it and you look at like something like the Eagle, which is sort of notoriously faint, like that is a bright nebula. If you use like a four millimeter exit people in a four inch telescope, which eh, it's kind of how you do it. Well, that worked out for you then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So speaking of nephews, you were talking about your nephews. Yeah. My, my nephew, I have uh, an older nephew and I have some younger nephews and my oldest nephew, he, uh, he has the son and uh, his son is uh, well, young, young little man. And uh, anyway, um, I had sent um, one of my other nephews a telescope the Christmas before last. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. It was, uh, one of the ST eighties and that's uh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You put together a little package, you bought some plossels and, and sent it off. Yeah. I bought, I think I bought like a 32 millimeter plossel and then a couple of those paradigm EDI pieces oh, from right. astronomics. Yeah. I, I think that's what I did. I meant to look them up before we recorded. And, uh, so anyway, um, I'd sent my, my nephew down this telescope and my nephew is, sort of like a very math and sciencey oriented uh, person. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was there one Christmas in 2019 and had my TAC FS60 and was showing him around and he was really into it. Um, but I think he was really into it like when I was there. And so I sent this down and I think they were having a little bit of trouble with the scope or whatever. And like I said, I think he's a little bit more into like the math and that sort of side of science, um, which is not my side of science, to say the least. He's very uh, technically math-oriented. Um, but anyway, my other nephew's son, uh, he found out that this telescope was just kicking around. And so um, had asked maybe if, if he could just have it. And uh, I guess his, his birthday is, uh, is around this time of year. And so when I was chatting with, uh, with my mom, she mentioned, Hey, would you, would you mind if, um, if he had the telescope? And I said, no, absolutely. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's all good. I just sent it down there in the hopes that somebody would use it really. You know, I thought that uh, my other nephew would use it, but if my other nephew's son wants it, then that's awesome. So, um, they were pretty excited and they sent me a photo last night of him with the ST80, uh, set up. Um, I sent it down on a little, um, AZ5, AZ5, AZ5 uh, Skywatcher, or uh, yeah, Skywatcher. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I sent down a tripod from the uh, AZGTI actually with it. So, cause I think that's a better setup for um, people that are uh, younger, maybe not as tall. Anyway, so they sent me an observing report this morning and asked if I could share it on the podcast. And they said, sure. So, uh, so my nephew wrote, uh, last night, last night we had a really good view of Saturn shortly after dark. Uh, it was my son's first time seeing that through a telescope. I thought his head might explode with excitement. I must admit, I was pretty excited too with busy day-to-day -day life. I'd forgotten how fascinating, fascinating it is to look up. We did find it easiest to locate targets with 32 millimeter. Then we would try the 12 millimeter and then the five millimeter, the five millimeter displayed incredible views of Saturn's rings. We also checked out Polaris and a couple of other bright ones. We have a lot of light pollution here from streetlights. So I will try to get them back to Mersey, which is um, over by the, um, let's see, the uh, dark sky preserve over in Kijimagujik, uh, or somewhere dark one of these days. Thanks for the charts and DIY light information. We'll gear something up. So I sent them down um, just the links to the, uh, what's it called? Skycharts.com where you can print off those sky charts. And I sent them a link to how to make your own red flashlight. And then I, uh, said to check out some books. So he said that, um, my mom had sent him over the exploring the night sky by Terrence Dickinson and Devin, uh, 
who's uh, who's my nephew's son, was really excited about uh, the information in that, and uh, they're going to try to track down Nightwatch. But if it's not around, if my copy of Nightwatch isn't there, I'll just send another copy down. Um, and then he goes on to say, I'm sure the telescope will get lots of use as he is already talking about uh, what he will try to look at tonight. And he can't wait to point out Saturn to his uh, brother uh, when he gets home. Hopefully uh, he will take an interest in it as well. So that's kind of thing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, you know, especially with Saturn, you know, that that is often an object. I think, you know, it, it, when people see it for the first time, they'll never forget that, you know, for the rest of their lives. And for some folks, that is really sort of the hook to to get you addicted to astronomy. So that's awesome that he was able to observe that. And I hope he keeps at it. Yeah, pretty cool that they were able to actually uh, like first night out kind of ID Saturn and yeah. find Polaris and a few other things. Now, in full disclosure, um, I did used to take my nephew Andrew out uh, with me doing astronomy uh, from time to time. So that was not his first time ever looking mm. through a telescope or pointing a telescope or or trying to sort out constellations uh, in the nighttime sky. So he, he had a bit of that, he had a bit of that. And then I, it was really cool just to hear his perspective because it's probably been at least a decade uh, since we did that. And, uh, and then, yeah, for him to kind of, you know, get busy with work and, and family and stuff like that, and then kind of go back to him and go, Whoa, like, <laughs> like it really kind of, it really kind of whipsaws you out of that sort of day-to-day uh, existence that, that we all kind of, you know, just fall into with family and work and all that, all that good stuff. Um, and then, you know, you just like, oh yeah, we'll just take a telescope and point out the sky. And then you're like, holy cow, like there's like this whole universe out there, you know, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, he'd be in a pretty good spot anyway. I think down, uh, down where they live, it's not like, although he has some street lights around, um, it's not like a badly light polluted area. They're just, they're just local lights and, uh, yeah, I thought they were changing all those out too, but uh, anyway, that that will hopefully happen sooner or later. But there's all kinds of good spots around, and where my folks live, which is um, only about a twenty or thirty minute drive for him, at that um, that's a that's a pretty dark spot um, to set up telescopes. But a six uh, magnitude sky down there uh, in an area that overlooks the North Atlantic. So yeah, pretty cool. I was really excited to get that this morning. I was I was so thrilled that somebody was not only using the telescope I sent down, but uh, that they had kind of gone out together and, you know, sort of father and son and we're sort of enjoying that. And I just thought that was super awesome. Very yeah. Cool yeah. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. So he's going to, he's going to hear all this and yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's really nice to get that um, as well. We had tweeted out that uh, Lowell presentation on Robert Burnham Jr.'s celestial handbook. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've, I heard from more than one person. It probably didn't go as expected. <laughs> It did not go well at all. It was really kind of disappointing. There was like 70 or 80 of us online for the online portion. There was like a couple dozen people in the room, I think. But uh, yeah, they were not set up to do it online. They didn't have the right um, microphones. They didn't have the right room set up. It was, it was, the sound was just terrible. Maybe they fixed it in uh, post-production or something. I don't know. Hopefully they have, and we'll be able to uh, to enjoy it as a as a recording. But uh, it's just unfortunate. They went through a lot of work to bring in um, uh, this Jerry Otega, the guy who, who did a lot of research on on Burnham about this. They brought in Burnham's uh, niece. They, they had William Sheehan there. They had Brian Skiff there. That's how I had heard about it because I'm on an email list that uh, that he contributes to. 
And uh, yeah, it was just very disappointing when they just didn't have the sound um, properly uh, running in that room. And, and then they were like, oh yeah, the, the sound doesn't work great in this room. Well, why did you send it out to the entire planet? There was people there from like Australia. We had like, I saw four or five of our listeners there anyway, <laughs> you know, and I'm there. <laughs> we're like all sending notes and like, try, maybe you guys should try this, but they weren't even telling the speakers to, to do the stuff that we were suggesting. Unfortunately, they, I, you know, they, somehow they weren't set up for that. So that's yeah, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. That is too bad. Um, yeah, along the lines of that topic of uh, Burnham celestial, uh, handbook, um, Right now, I don't know if this will still be the case when this podcast actually airs, but uh, all three uh, books are available on astrobicell.com right now. Yeah, yeah. for $50. Uh, they yeah. look like they're in good condition. They're all hard covers. Yep. Um, this is uh, like, I don't know why, but these three books often come up for sale around that price point. Yep. You just can't beat it. Um, you know, the amount of information in those three books is phenomenal. And I think it's a, a great buy at $50. So if you're in Canada and you're looking for these books, check it out. Maybe they'll still be available. Yeah, I think I actually paid $60 for my hardcover set used about 12 years ago, mm-hmm. 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, and still well worth it. But I got a brand, basically a brand new uh, three volume set like that. So I think if it's in good condition, I think $50 is, is a good price. So yeah, all good there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anything else, Shane? That is all. All right. Well, thanks Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe. We always appreciate any of your Patreon support. You can reach us with your own tales of astronomy to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.